Hello and welcome to episode 243 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. We've all heard the expression getting away with murder, but every now and again you hear about a criminal so inept it's difficult to comprehend just how they ever thought they could get away with it. This is one such case that took place in Bexley Heath in South East London in April 2008. A huge thank you to Hayes at Podcast She Wrote for the research and writing of this episode. As I mentioned last week, my book on Angus Sinclair, Gone Fishing, is now released. Let's just say that the figures aren't quite that of Richard Osman's Thursday Murder Club, to say the very, very least. But you can buy it on Amazon in paperback or Kindle. Just search Gone Fishing by Chris Clark and Adam Lloyd, or check any of my social sites. I've never had a book released before, so please do forgive me if I push it a bit too much. I will stop soon, I promise. Talking of true crime fans, a huge thank you as always to my supporters on Patreon, especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Michelle Gilby and Carmel Murphy. Thank you so much for your support, which is much appreciated. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. I love telling you all about Best Fiends, as it's a game I enjoy so much myself. It is absolutely my favourite puzzle game on my phone. It's great as I love the challenge in puzzles, but like you, I don't get that much free time, so I like that it's a casual game that I can play whenever I grab some minutes here and there. And whenever I do, there's always something new going on, whether it's a new challenge, a fun monthly event, or just new levels. The creators of Best Fiends have developed a whole world right on my phone. It's got great music, it's bright and colourful, with amazing graphics and gameplay, and there's a story about all these cute characters who you pick up on the journey to help you in future levels. It's a lovely relaxing break from focusing on the detail of true crime. And did I mention that you don't need internet connection to play? For me, living in such a rural location with rubbish internet, that is a major bonus. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Okay, let's quickly set some context with our non-award winning guest of the month and year game. In the UK, the number one was Four Minutes from Madonna and the Trouser Snake. In the US, it was Bleeding Love from Leona Lewis. And top of the pile in Australia was Rattling Bones by Casey Chambers and Shane Nicholson. Me neither. This was the year when the Corporate Manslaughter and Corporate Homicide Act came into focus. (laughs) I almost mentioned the year. (laughs) Oh dear, bit of a giveaway. The inquest into the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, recorded a verdict of accidental death caused by the heavy drinking, drug abuse and speeding of her chauffeur, Henry Paul, who died in the crash along with Diana and Dodie Fayed. And finally, Karen Matthews, the mum of kidnapped nine-year-old girl Sharon Matthews, was arrested for organising her daughter's kidnap. I'm still astonished at that case, aren't you? Did you get the month and year? It was April 2008. Okay, let's make a start to today's story, which comes from Bexley Heath in South East London. Graham Boyne lived in Bexley Heath, and he was understandably devastated when his wife left him shortly into their marriage, 
after admitting she'd been having an affair with his best friend. Having lost the two people he was closest to, Graham sought comfort from his family, his mum Joan, his dad Michael and his sister Elaine. They were a close-knit family. With their support and that of close friends, Graham was finally able to move on, and when he got to his early 30s, the hurt had healed enough for him to start looking for other relationships, and he met Maria, who was 11 years his junior. The couple soon married, and Maria, despite her relatively young age, seemed to embrace marital life, giving birth to the couple's daughter in the year 2000, followed two years later by a son. Graham was absolutely thrilled that he'd found love again. But as we see so often on this podcast, the relationship was not as happy behind the scenes as Graham liked to outwardly portray. The settled family life that Graham so longed for after the heartbreak of his first marriage was not to be found with Maria after all. She began having numerous affairs, much to her husband's dismay. However, scarred by the ending of his first marriage, Graham was determined to work on the relationship with his second wife, and he even turned a blind eye to the infidelity. This was a price he thought that he was prepared to pay, if only they could stay together. But Maria played on this, realising that Graham would take her back no matter what she did. She made the most of the freedom it gave her, and she'd often disappear for weeks at a time, even missing her children's birthdays, and she did what she wanted with who she wanted. Although the couple briefly split, they rekindled the relationship in 2007, much to the concern of Graham's family, who urged him to make the break once and for all from Maria, as she clearly wasn't making him happy. By 2008, Maria and Graham were living in a nice terraced house in Parkside Avenue, a quiet street in Barnhurst, South East London. Graham was working as a television repairman, whilst Maria stayed at home to look after their two small children. But after Graham was made redundant from his job, he was utterly devastated. He turned to alcohol in a big way. Meanwhile, The children were not the only thing keeping Maria occupied whilst her husband was busy drinking and she soon began yet another affair, this time with 23-year-old Gary McGinley, a warehouse worker who lived in Welling, about three miles away. Gary struggled with a minor learning disability, although this did not stop him from being able to work, but he was said by friends and colleagues to be somewhat naive when it came to relationships. Gary knew from the off that his lover was married, but Maria, she would reassure him that her marriage was all but over, it was a sham. He just needed to be patient until they could be together properly in the family home. Maria's duplicity might have continued indefinitely, were it not for her unexpectedly becoming pregnant with Gary's baby. The young father-to-be was absolutely thrilled with the news and was looking forward to moving into Maria and Graham's family home once Graham had left, as Maria had assured Gary he would. Only now Maria was in a tricky situation. Her plan to divorce Graham and use the children as leverage in order to keep the family home would be scuppered once her pregnancy became obvious. Claiming that Graham was the father of her baby would seem suspicious if she was about to divorce him, whereas admitting Gary was the father 
would give Graham grounds for divorcing her, thus reducing the likelihood of any kind of claim on the family home. After much toing and froing, Maria decided to be open with everyone, including her husband, as to the nature of her pregnancy and the identity of the father. When she told him, Graham was completely devastated. He was broken. An affair was one thing, but this was a step too far. How could she do this to him? Especially knowing what he'd been through before. Did she not care for him at all? This really was the final straw for Graham. He loved Maria with all his heart and he wanted to make the marriage work and provide a stable home life for their children. But she'd now made this impossible. He could no longer ignore her countless infidelities and complete disregard for his feelings. So he asked Maria to leave. He informed her that he would petition for a divorce and seek full custody of their two children and she was free to be with Gary or anyone else. For him, the marriage was over. Somewhat surprisingly, this came as a complete shock to Maria. This wasn't the outcome she was expecting at all. As little as she cared for her husband and children, the house was everything to her, and she could not bear the thought of not living there. So did Maria take stock of her situation, and look for suitable accommodation in preparation for the birth of her third child? No. Maria was full of self-pity for the situation that she now found herself in. Her response was to complain to friends and neighbours that she needed Graham to die so she could then move back into the house with Gary and the baby. Maria even openly discussed ways that she could kill her husband, joking to friends that she could put poison in his vodka. It is not clear where Maria's two existing children, whom by now she had very little to do with, would quite fit into this fairy tale ending. Graham's dad, Michael Boyne, was acutely aware of what his estranged daughter-in-law had been saying about his son and he was desperately concerned. At about 6pm on Wednesday the 23rd of April, while the children were being looked after by family, Michael paid Graham a visit to check on his welfare. The father and son spoke honestly for a while, and satisfied that Graham and the children were going to be okay, though disappointed at his son's unwavering, forgiving attitude towards Maria, Michael Boyne wished him a good evening and departed, saying that he would pick Graham up the following morning for his appointment at the Alcohol Awareness Clinic. Sometime later that night, Graham Boyne received a text message from Maria, offering him sex and a chance to talk. Sadly, Graham was still in love with his wife despite everything she put him through, and so he offered to pick Maria up from where she was staying temporarily. Once back at the house, Maria led Graham upstairs to the bedroom, where she encouraged him to undress, and when he was down to just his white socks and lying on the bed, Maria viciously attacked her defenceless husband, stabbing him 31 times with two different knives she'd managed to conceal from him. Graham's last sight before he lost consciousness was the woman he loved, the mother of his children, her face full of aggression and hatred and knives in her hand. As soon as Maria was certain that Graham was dead, she removed a bloody gold necklace from around his neck before calling Gary, asking to be picked up from outside their future house. Maria told him that she'd just killed her husband in order to secure their future together 
She'd done it for him, for them. Gary was so enamoured with his lover, he decided not to question Maria further, but he picked her up as requested. He later described what happened when he saw her. He said, Maria was upset and crying. She said she killed Graham. She looked in a terrible state. She was crying and seemed in a bad way. Then I saw blood on her hands. I went into the house and she was screaming. What have I done? Maria said she was going to kill herself. She said she did it for us. It just made me feel guilty. Of course, as we hear so often on this podcast, after a period of time to reflect and the involvement of the police, recollections tend to change. In this case, Gary's guilt did not prevent him from helping Maria to clean up the gold necklace she had taken and he helped her sell it to a pawn shop for £220. Love's Young Dream used some of the money to book a room in a B&B where the owner said the pair appeared to be laughing and carefree and they squandered the remainder on a variety of bits and pieces so they wouldn't have cash on them if they were caught. Meanwhile, Michael Boyne had spent a sleepless night still worrying about his son, but was relieved he was seeking help for his alcohol problems. Concerned when there was no answer to his knocking on the door at 9am as arranged the evening before, Michael used his spare key to enter the house. The sight and smell of what Michael found would haunt him for the remainder of his life. His son's mutilated body was drenched in blood. It was a truly brutal attack. The autopsy would later determine that the 31 stab wounds damaged his inside so severely that there was no way he could have been revived or saved due to the sheer amount of blood loss. The police were called and immediately began investigating, canvassing the neighbours to see if anyone had heard or seen anything suspicious. As Maria Boyne was still listed as Graham's next of kin, officers tried to contact her to inform her of her husband's death without success. Their initial suspicions about Maria were seemingly backed up by neighbours who had seen her leaving the property at around 6.30am that morning, just three hours before the body of Graham Boyne was discovered. Maria Boyne, having skipped a few chapters in her copy of the book Getting Away with Murder for Dummies, had assumed the body would not be found for some time, so she had travelled with Gary to Southend in Essex, around 30 miles away, to establish an alibi for the time that Graham was killed. But once she realised that the police were keen to speak with her, she returned back to Barnhurst, where she was promptly arrested for the murder of Graham Boyne. Maria concocted a story about an intruder with wild eyes who had broken into the house while she was there and murdered her husband in front of her, but she was unable to save him. Once she was finally able to escape the house, she did so, but she hadn't had a chance to call an ambulance. Officers, unsurprisingly, did not accept this version of events, so Maria changed tack and said that her lover, Gary, was solely responsible for the murder, enraged with jealousy over the fact that she and Graham had two children together. In this version, Maria said she had told Gary that despite being heavily pregnant with his child, she was going back to her husband. On the evening in question, Maria said she just had sex with her husband when Gary began calling her from a nearby phone box. When she answered her phone, she said, He told me he was outside and to let him in. He had a knife tucked into his waistband, like a carving knife in a black leather case, 
She claimed that Gary pointed the knife towards her and said, you know why I'm doing this, and told her to be quiet. It didn't cross my mind that he would use the knife, she said. Maria claimed that Gary pushed past her and entered the bedroom where she heard her Graham shout, help me. She ran out of the house but Gary caught up with her and forbade her from calling the police. Maria was arrested but eventually released. But even Maria knew the net was closing in and she finally confessed to where she'd disposed of one of the two murder weapons. Officers from the Marine Support Unit of the Met Police Thames Division searched through the muddy foreshores of the River Thames near Eris Pier, which is London's longest yet least known pier, which was just two miles from her house. Crowds gathered to watch the officers at work. One spectator was later interviewed. He said, On the Sunday, I told them they were searching for a needle in a haystack, but then one of the officers told me that they had just found it. A second knife was found in the boot of Maria's car, but it was not possible to determine which of the knives was the actual murder weapon. Maria Boyne was charged with the murder of her husband Graham Boyne, and facing trial, she heard the mountain of evidence against her read out in court. In an impact statement read to the court, Graham's dad Michael said, The shock of finding my son in this manner has affected me deeply. I cannot sleep at night. Thoughts keep going through my head. My son thought the world of her despite her numerous affairs. He loved her. We had to find a lot of courage within ourselves to tell the children their father had been killed and their mummy was in prison with Gary, having been accused of killing him. Their marriage was on the rocks, but my son thought the world of her despite her affairs. Our lives have been torn apart and the children cannot comprehend how anyone would have wanted to harm their daddy. Since that day we've had to come to terms with the fact that we would never see him or hear his voice again. We were very proud of our son. He was hard-working, conscientious and very sociable. As a family, we will always be haunted by imagining the last moments of Graham's life. And did he suffer? Heartbreakingly, he then went on to describe the impact of the murder on the children explaining that his eight-year-old daughter had, I quote, run around the house and was inconsolable. She said she wanted to die so she could be with her daddy. His grandson, aged six, just wanted to know if his daddy would ever come back home. The love of the children can be contrasted directly with the sheer callousness of Maria. The prosecuting QC said, it was a cold-blooded murder. It was a brutal and sustained attack. The marriage was all but over, divorce was imminent, the only asset was a family home. She was heard from time to time to make threats against her husband with regard to her obtaining the house should he die. Maria was found guilty. And noting that Maria Boyne had shown not one flicker of remorse, the judge addressed her in court. He said, Graham was the father of your two young children and forgiving of your repeated infidelities with different men. And he took you back when you chose to return to him. But in April 2008, pregnant with your lover's child, you decided to get your hands on the family home. This was a murder with a view to gain. You'd repeatedly told others you intended to get your hands on the house and do whatever it took to achieve that aim. You were also motivated by sex and selfishness. 
you were scheming and devious. I'm satisfied that you enticed your husband to go to bed naked on the pretext of sex. You rained 31 blows upon his chest and back with that knife. At some stage he tried to defend himself. You showed him no mercy. There would be further devastation for the Boyne family as the strain of the trial and giving evidence in court eventually took its toll on Graham's dad, Michael. Although he'd attended each day of the trial, on the 23rd of February he fell ill and decided to stay at home whilst his wife and daughter went to court. They arrived home later that day to find Michael Boyne collapsed and he sadly died the following day in hospital. Just a few days later, 30-year-old Maria Boyne was sentenced to 24 years in prison. After sentencing, the leading detective said, This was a savage attack motivated by the desire of Maria Boyne to live in a formal marital home. The cold-hearted murder of Graham has devastated his family and Maria Boyne's actions have left two young children without a father and their mother facing a substantial prison sentence. Throughout the investigation and trial, Maria Boyne constructed a self-serving and complex web of deceit, which the jury were able to see through in reaching their verdict. It is thanks only to the love and care of Graham Boyne's mum and dad that your two children have not been put with strangers to care for them. You have effectively rendered them orphans. Although Gary McGinley was also charged with the murder, he was acquitted at trial, and Maria Boyne gave birth to their child whilst held on remand, and the baby was immediately taken into care, another innocent victim in this most senseless of cases. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It is a long time for Maria in jail to try to come to terms with exactly what she did. I wonder if she'll find that remorse that was missing when she has more time to reflect and is away from her three children. You would like to hope so. And what of Gary McGinley? What will he do now, I wonder? Would he put this behind him, this terrible, terrible series of events? Or will it haunt him for the rest of his life? But of course, the main point of this story is the terrible tragedy for the family of Graham Boyne. Not just losing Graham in such horrible circumstances, but to lose Michael Boyne too during the trial must have been almost too much to bear for the family. Our sincere best wishes are with them. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. Please head to the Facebook group for fun and games and to discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime. And to support the show, get over to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. There are bonus episodes, hidden gold, and other exclusive content for as little as £1 per month. So that is all from the 37th most popular UK true crime podcast for yet another week. Now the longest day is over in the UK and the nights begin to draw in, what you really need is a good book about Angus and Claire to keep you company. Go and find it on Amazon. It's called Gone Fishing. Don't get the other one by mistake by the two comedians. It's a great book but it's not about a serial killer. So on that terribly poor sales bombshell, thank you again for listening, and until next week, despite all the others, please stay classy. Cheerio for now.